Good morning. Corey asked me last night if I was nervous about speaking this morning. And I said, well, I'm mostly nervous about what in the world you're going to say when you introduce me. <laughs> you should have heard some of his rough drafts. You would, have been, you would have been nervous too. I was a pastor's wife for eight years while Corey and I started a church on Long Island, like he said. And over the course of that time, I developed a heart and a love for that congregation, that people, that is indescribable, unlike anything I've ever felt for any group of people before in my whole life. And I've been a chaplain's wife now for almost three years. And I can honestly say that I have developed a heart and a love for you, this community, that is indescribable. And all I can tell you is that it is deep and it is genuine. And I am honored to be a part of this community in the way that I am. And I'm humbled to have the privilege of sharing my heart with you today. I'd like to begin by reading a true story about a little boy who suffered a bit of an identity crisis. There once was a three-year-old little boy, and this little boy had a hero. Not just a hero, a superhero. Not just any superhero, but the one and only superhero named Shazam. You may have heard of Shazam, even though he's not saving the world quite as much today as he was at one time. Perhaps he's retired by now, living somewhere down in Florida. And like many other superheroes, one of the great qualities of Shazam was his ability to fly. The little boy idolized Shazam. He watched Shazam on TV. He studied pictures of Shazam in comic books. He devoted his time, attention, hopes, and aspirations to his superhero, Shazam. One day, while playing at the local park with his older brother, the two boys were approached by... Well, a bully. And the bully started to pick a fight with this little boy's older brother. After being eyewitness to the interaction between the older boys and finding himself unable to withstand the injustice of the situation, the little boy made a crucial decision in that moment, one that can only come from a life of devotion as this boy had to his superhero. For in that moment of redemption for his older brother, the little boy not only proceeded to imitate Shazam, but in that moment of overbearing tension, the little boy thought that, in fact, he was Shazam. So, as the bully tried to wrestle the little boy's older brother to the ground, the little boy climbed to the highest heights of the nearby picnic table, stood atop, back to the edge of the table, gazed straight ahead, proclaimed at the top of his lungs, Shazam! Waited for the lightning to strike, and then, with a running start, took off of that picnic table and soared straight into the ground. I have a picture of that little boy that was taken shortly after his little mistaken identity crisis and endeavor to fly solo. Now I have, I have good news and bad news. The good news is that there is so much to appreciate about that picture. <laughs> the bad news, for me anyway, is that I didn't exactly tell Corey that I actually found that picture. <laughs> <laughs> A little identity crisis. 
finding himself as someone he really wasn't created to be. The college years are often defined as a time of searching, figuring out, finding yourself, deciding on things, trying to understand who you are, what your purpose is, and how to go about pursuing it. Today I'd like to talk to you about a passage of scripture in which I believe Jesus shows us the way to discover who we really are. He shows us the way to a life of true identity and fulfillment. Julia read our text this morning, found in John 4, the story of the woman at the well. Perhaps a familiar story for many of us. A few years ago, I saw a short video created from this passage of scripture, sort of an interpretive monologue from the perspective of the woman. And I thought it would be worth showing to you to further introduce our text this morning. And so as I was downloading it and getting everything ready to go, Corey informed me, oh yeah, I showed that video before in chapel. But he assured me it was three years ago. So if you are a senior, forgive me if you've seen this before, but I thought about it and I still felt it was poignant enough to show again today. I am a woman of no distinction, of little importance. I am a woman of no reputation save that which is bad. You whisper as I pass by and cast judgmental glances, though you don't really take the time to look at me or even get to know me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known, and otherwise what's the point in doing either one of them in the first place? I want to be known. I want someone to look at my face and not just see two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and two ears but to see all that I am and could be, all my hopes, loves, and fears. That's too much to hope for, to wish for, or pray for, so I don't, not anymore. Now I keep to myself, and by that I mean the pain that keeps me in my own private jail, the pain that's brought me here at midday to this well. To ask for a drink is no big request, but to ask it of me, a woman unclean, ashamed, used and abused, an outcast, a failure, a disappointment, a sinner, no drink passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning, as I'm sure you condemn me now, but you don't. You're a man of no distinction, though of the utmost importance, a man with little reputation, at least so far. You whisper and tell me to my face what all those glances have been about, and you take the time to really look at me but don't need to get to know me for to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And you know me. You actually know me. All of me and everything about me. Every thought inside and hair on top of my head. Every hurt stored up. Every hope. Every dread. My past and my future. All I am and could be. You tell me everything. You tell me about me. And that which is spoken by another would bring hate and condemnation. Coming from you brings love, grace, mercy, hope, and salvation. I've heard of one to come who would save a wretch like me. And here in my presence you say I am he. To be known is to be loved. And to be loved is to be known. And I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to get to. Let me run back to town. This is way too much for just me. There are others, brothers, sisters, lovers, haters, the good and the bad, sinners and saints, who should hear what you've told me, who should see what you've shown me, who should taste what you gave me, who should feel how you forgave me. For to be known is to be loved. And to be loved is to be known. And they all need this too. We all do need it for our own. Let's pray. Father, for this time of corporate worship, I thank you for the privilege of sharing my heart with this beloved community of people. I thank you. May the words I speak this morning be yours alone. Nothing more, nothing less. Open every heart, and I pray for your spirit 
to meet each of us right where we are today. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that strikes me about this passage is that the woman encountered Jesus upon his initiation. He passed through Samaria, which could be considered odd in itself because Jews typically avoided Samaria. They would bypass Samaria because Jews and Samaritans did not associate with one another. Not only was she a Samaritan, but she was also a woman, and women in that day were not highly regarded. It was not likely that a man would ever ask a woman for a drink. Also, she was drinking from the well at midday, a sign that perhaps she was an outcast, even by women, for most women drew from the well early in the morning. The well was much less crowded, if not abandoned, by midday. So here is Jesus, seated next to the well. And when the woman came up, he asked her for a drink, as if Jesus needed to ask for a drink. I'm sure as the Son of God, he could have somehow found a way to get a drink without asking her. I mean, if you think about it, he probably could have had a Coke if he'd have really wanted one. I'm just saying. (laughs) So then it's... Given the context, it seems very evident that Jesus indeed had a purpose in this encounter, as he does in all of his encounters. Never underestimate an encounter with Jesus. You see, he longed for this woman to know she mattered. In verse 10, he's essentially saying, If you knew who I was and what I have to give you, you would be asking me for a drink, for the water I give isn't just something to quench your thirst for a little while. It was much more than that. She then says, well, you don't have anything to draw water with. How can you offer me anything? Do you think you're greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? Jesus, with grace and patience, stays with the conversation. He goes on in the next verse to say, everyone who drinks of this well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. How often do we try to find ourselves outside of the context of Christ himself? How often do we try to figure out who we are or how we matter by comparing ourselves to others or to the standard society sets for us? How often do we drink from the well of the temporary and the superficial, the well which leads us to thirst not only for more, but to thirst of the very things which are not satisfying, things that are not of God? The woman seems to misunderstand this meaning of living water, for she says to him in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty again and have to keep coming here to draw water, as if Jesus had some sort of magic water to give her, and if she drank from it, she wouldn't have to come back to that well again. Jesus responds again with grace and patience and proceeds to tell her about herself. And he replies, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Perhaps this seems a little harsh, but Jesus isn't telling her this to condemn her. He's telling her this to lead her to salvation. For Jesus does not speak truth to condemn us. Jesus speaks truth to save us. She thinks she's figured it out. Oh, you're a prophet. 
I get it. Well, since you're right here and all, sir, I got a question for you. Where on earth are we supposed to worship God? She begins to ask about the burning question that has existed for years and years between the Jews and Samaritans about where the proper place is to worship God. Our ancestors say we're supposed to worship on this mountain, and the Jews say we're supposed to worship on this mountain. Please tell me, which one is it? And Jesus replies and basically says, Don't worry about getting caught up with that, where the proper place is to worship God, because it's all going to change and is changing. And he's referring to his very presence and purpose in coming to earth. Something big is about to happen and is happening, and what matters isn't where you worship God. What matters is your heart and worshiping God in his spirit and in his truth. He answered her question unlike any other could answer it. Jesus is not just a prophet. Yes, he can tell us all about ourselves, but he offers so much more. You see, Jesus isn't about just shedding a little light on our self-identification process to help us out or to move us along a little bit. N.T. Wright, the Bishop of Durham, said it this way, Jesus didn't come to help me discover who I really am. He came to tell me who he knew I really was and to do something about it. Did you hear that? Jesus didn't come to help us discover who we really are. He came to tell us who he knows we are and to do something about it. As I've been preparing this message over the last couple of weeks, there has been a hymn that has kept coming to my mind over and over. And so I thought maybe I should share it with you today. Don't worry, I'm not going to break out in song or anything. I am going to read the four verses in the chorus. All my life long I had panted for a drink from some cool spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within feeding on the husks around me till my strength is almost gone. Longed my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. Poor I was and sought for riches, something that would satisfy. But the dust I gathered round me only mocked my soul's sad cry. Well of water, ever springing, bread of life, so rich and free. Untold wealth that never faileth, my Redeemer is to me. Hallelujah, I have found him, whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfied my longings. Through his blood, I now am saved. Do you see it? Do you understand? The living water that Christ is talking about isn't H2O. It is his very life, his body that was broken for us the bread of heaven, and his blood that he willingly spilled out on the cross so that we could have life. He goes on and tells this woman in verse 13, The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I think I missed this for years, but eternal life is more than just living in heaven forever after we die. And though that's a wonderful thing, in John 17:3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
to know him is to love him and to love him is to know him that is our purpose not only as he first knew and loved us but because he first knew and loved us you see he initiates our encounter with him he invites us to partake of the well of living water he wants to show us who we are in him Jesus knew this woman and loved her and was offering the opportunity to reciprocate this. He was inviting her to be in a relationship with him. You can imagine that this woman was perhaps taken back, maybe a little nervous, caught off guard, not knowing exactly how to respond or what to do with all of this. Because after all, here is a man who was waiting at the well when she arrived and asked her for a drink, who then offered her living water, who then told her everything she'd ever done, who then told her what was to come. What should she do now? Well, she does the only thing she knows to do. And to be quite honest, if I were her, I think I would have done the exact same thing. She pulls the Messiah card. Yeah. Maybe in nervousness and uncertainty, she says to him, Well, you know, there is one who is to come, the Messiah. Maybe you've heard of him. And, you know, he's supposed to come and tell us everything we need to know and explain everything to us. So, you know, I'm just going to wait and let him come and explain it all. So, yeah, I'm just going to wait. Thank you, though. Your insight was amazing. Then the glory moment of the entire passage comes along in verse 26. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. She was standing in the very presence of the Messiah and she did not even know it. Do you know You are standing in the presence of the Messiah. In the Trinitarian form of the Holy Spirit, the Messiah stands before us right now, inviting us into a relationship, a deeper relationship with Him. So here's my question for you. From what well are you drawing your water? And by water, I mean that which temporarily sustains you, because water, as we know, is only a temporary sustenance. From what well are you drawing your water today? Is it the well of materialism? Is it the well of self-indulgence? Is it the well of lust? Is it the well of addiction? Is it the well of pride? Or is it the well of living water? Do you know what the ultimate problem is with that well from which you're drinking if it is not in fact the well of living water? It will run dry. It won't last. And you will be left even still thirsty for more. 
even if it is nothing more than simple H2O. Jesus said, The water I give you will become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life, for to know him is to love him, and to love him is to know him, because he first knew you and loved you. And when you truly seek to know him and love him, then will you be able to know and love who he made you to be. I encourage you, I urge you to drink from the well of living water and allow yourself to be found, to be identified by the one who made you, who knows you, who loves you, and who truly satisfies. And as Jesus himself promised, you will never thirst again. Let's pray. Dear Father, grant us the grace to drink from the well of living water and to be found. For to know you is to love you and to love you is to know you as you have first known and loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.